Hi, friends. Welcome to Church Online. Hey, thanks for joining us as we continue in our series titled Finding Life in the Psalms. I believe the Psalms are a special section of Scripture that teach us to live the way that God designed it. That if we are willing to listen and apply the creative and expressive Holy Spirit-inspired literature, that God will infuse us with supernatural life. And one of the reasons I believe this is connected to last week when we discussed Psalm 1, and most believe that this psalm is strategically placed at the beginning of the book of Psalms as an introduction. And if we can understand the main point of Psalm 1, we will better understand the rest of the Psalms. And the main point of Psalm 1 was when we choose to follow God's word, we will be blessed. We will find life as God designed it. However, Psalm 1 isn't the end of the introduction. In fact, the introduction chapter continues in Psalm chapter 2. Let me show you why I believe this. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, let's take a look at the end of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verse 12 says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him, him being God's king, who we will discuss in just a moment. But notice that blessed is at both the beginning of Psalm 1 and the end of Psalm 2. Now, this is what we would call a, an inclusio. In the Bible, an inclusio is a literary device that acts as bookends, like two things that keep books standing upright on a shelf or a table. And the purpose of an inclusio is to show the reader that everything in between the bookends belongs together. Thus, it is highly likely that Psalm 1 and 2 are connected as one introduction. Therefore, it is important for us, as we study the Psalms and attempt to find life as God designed it, to understand the main point of Psalm 2 as well. And that's what we will do today. We are going to study Psalm chapter 2, and so let's get started. Verse 1 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? As the psalmist begins, he looks around and describes the surrounding world. He sees nations acting crazy. He sees people plotting, or translated another way, he sees the people gathering together to riot and protest and selfishly get their way. By the way, does that scene sound familiar? I mean, if we turn on the TV or maybe hop on social media, we might describe our current world the same way. Anyways, the psalmist sees this and he asks, why is this happening? What's going on? But then he partially answers the question. He says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. One reason the people are acting crazy is because they are following the example of their leaders. Kings and rulers determine the flow of life. They establish 
culture. And in this scene, the kings are actively and even aggressively setting up their own kingdoms. They're grabbing for power. And rulers are scheming to fulfill their agenda, even at the expense of others or their future. And the leaders that we're talking about here, they, they don't necessarily need to be elected. A leader is really anyone or any person or any voice that people are following. Therefore, uh, whatever the leader looks like, when the leader sets a culture of chaos, guess what happens? The people will follow. Yet the psalmist senses this is not the way life should be. Something isn't right with this culture of chaos. And so he asks, why? And we get the rest of the answer to this question in the following passage. Why are they doing this? Well, they are doing this against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Why is there so much chaos? Well, it's because they were unwilling to have God as their king. They view the Lord, the creator of all things, as a smothering and oppressive master. And so the leaders declare, let's do whatever it takes to get free from God's rule. And the people passionately respond, we will follow you. Which strangely shifts the sense of the passage. Because originally the question seemed to be, why is the world this way? But now the sense of the question is, what the heck are you doing? Because first off, why would we move from order to chaos? Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, life in God's kingdom is filled with righteousness, life the way that it's supposed to happen. And it's filled with peace, and it's filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, this lasting, deep, and satisfying happiness. That's the way that life is when God is in charge. Yet life, and the picture that we get with life apart from God, is described as we find it in the first three verses, as chaos. And isn't this something that we see in our own day? As our own country moves away from God, chaos has increased. It makes you ask, why are we doing this? But secondly, the question of why includes a shock or a surprise. Like, do we actually think that we can rage and plot and overtake God Almighty? And the King of Heaven is on his throne looking down and wondering the same thing because verse 4 says, He, that's God, who sits in heaven, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now, we need to understand the type of literature that is found here. Otherwise, we may walk away with an unhealthy picture of who God is. The psalmist is being poetic, meaning He's creatively using language to communicate a point. And in this case, it's not necessarily literal. For example, God is not actually sitting in heaven laughing at us as we rebel. God takes no pleasure in sin. He doesn't think it's, it's funny. 
He, he, it actually breaks his heart. And when it says the Lord holds them in derision, another word for derision is scoff or mock. Again, God is not scoffing or mocking us. That would not fit the character of God that the rest of Scripture and, and the parts that can be taken literally describe God like. Rather, the sense of verse 4 is God is on his throne looking down at the rebellion and asking, are you, are you kidding me? Do you really think that this is going to work out for you? Do you really believe that this is better than what I have for you? Verse 5 goes on to say, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Again, we need to consider the language in its context. The poetic picture doesn't describe and isn't describing God as out of control and anger because the people aren't listening to me. No, people rage. God does not. God's wrath and God's fury are not out of control emotions. They are his perfect and holy judgments. Or as the young people say today, his OP, his overpower. God's wrath and fury are, are definitely scary, but they describe a position of power that is greater than anything else. And in his power, he declares to the rebellious world, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has decreed, I have already chosen a king. Your efforts to rebel against him and set up your own kingdoms will not work. Just as the prophet Isaiah said, he said, the Lord of hosts has sworn as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. No human effort will ever overpower God. So why are we trying? It's not going to work, and it only creates chaos, and it does not give life. Verse 7 continues, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Psalm 2 is called a royal psalm, meaning it had a specific role and application to the Davidic kings or, or the Jewish kings that came from the line of David. In fact, Acts chapter 4 tells us that David wrote Psalm 2. When, when verse 7 says, I will tell of the decree, it's, it's David speaking. And David tells us that God told him, I have chosen you and your life. I have set you as king in my chosen city, Jerusalem. And nothing will stop what I have planned to accomplish through this kingdom, for it is really my kingdom. Therefore, I will protect it, and all efforts to stop it will fail. And this is all based on the covenant promises that God made to David, which are found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That can be your homework. You can read 2 Samuel 7. But it is likely that this royal psalm 
was read at the coronation of each Davidic king as a reminder to both the king and the people of God's promises. Because Israel was constantly surrounded by enemies, nations that raged, people who plotted, kings and rulers who came against God's kingdom. And this psalm, as it would be read at the coronation, would stir up the faith of the people and the king. It would encourage them to confidently trust in God's king, that no matter what the worldly circumstances looked like at that time, God's purposes through this kingdom would be fulfilled. And here's what's cool. There is a prophetic element to this psalm too. It not only applied to the historic king of Israel, but it also pointed forward into the future at the future eternal king of our world. It not only built faith in Israel, but it builds faith in the church today and in the future. In the book of Acts, we find that the apostles were going out and they were telling people the good news about Jesus. That because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we could be forgiven for our sins and find salvation or find life in his name. But the leaders of that day stood against this message. They threw Peter and John into prison and demanded that they stop telling people about Jesus. But by faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter and James replied, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. And the story continues, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, look at this here, this might look familiar, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're quoting Psalm chapter 2. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What does this teach us? It teaches us that Jesus is God's anointed that we hear about in Psalm 2. 
that he is God's chosen king, the ultimate son from the line of David whose kingdom will never end. And it also teaches us that Psalm chapter 2 gave Israel, God's people, confidence and faith to trust in God's plan, but it also gives the church, who are God's people, confidence and faith to trust in Jesus, God's chosen king, that with Jesus as our king, God will accomplish his plan no matter the opposition. And finally, Psalm 2, in in accordance with Acts chapter 4, prophetically promises that one day, Jesus, the anointed one, the chosen king, the son of God, will literally rule the world. The nations will become his heritage and possession, and all opposition will be judged and ended. In the future, God will make all things right through King Jesus. Which brings us to the final three verses. It says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Here, just as we found in Psalm 1 last week, we are given a choice. No matter where we are or what we have done, God, who is merciful and patient, who loves us, who wants to forgive us, who desires to be with us, gives us an opportunity to respond to his grace, his undeserved favor. Verse 10 says, you kings and rulers, and really all who follow them, says, be wise, make a good choice, be warned, watch out. There are consequences to your choices. And so what you should choose is to serve the Lord, kiss the son or worship the son, follow God's chosen king. Because do you really want to rebel and experience his wrath? You know, the the Bible actually describes the future of those who make that choice. One, One of the unique things about the Bible is that it has prophecies, meaning it can describe the future and what it describes actually comes true. For example, like Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 22 has a prophetic element to it. Written hundreds of years before Jesus, Psalm 22 prophetically describes things that would happen to Jesus. Like in verse 16 where it says, they have pierced my hands and feet. Um, that's, That's crazy, right? Especially since this was was, was written hundreds of years before Jesus. but it's, And we know that Jesus was crucified. He had his hands and feet pierced. Here's what's more crazy. Not only was this written hundreds of years before Jesus, it was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. The Bible is crazy. It can actually and accurately foretell the future. And at the end of time, it foretells the outcome 
of those who choose not to follow King Jesus. Let me read Revelation chapter 20 for you. It says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, kind of like what it's described in Psalm 2 in the beginning. And their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. They're, they're gathered to oppose God's kingdom. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, according to what they had chose. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life because they had trusted Jesus, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to choose that future. I ain't trying to go there, but we can. God gives us that choice. If we choose to break free of God, that is what the Bible tells us our future will be. But that's not what God wants. We all know John 3.16, but John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Which is why Psalm 2 warns us. God's word is encouraging us to trust God's king, to choose King Jesus because blessed are all who choose him, who take refuge in him. And so as we close, how can we respond to God's word today? Well, first, we need to be honest with ourselves. Which king are we following? And as you answer that question, wherever you're at, whatever you're thinking, if today you find that you are following the wrong king, what you need to do today is you need to respond by choosing a different king. More specifically, choose King Jesus. And the second thing you can do is you need to take refuge in Jesus so that you can be blessed, so that you can find life the way that God designed it. Even though all of your previous rebellions and sins deserve God's wrath, if you take refuge in the king, if you take refuge in Jesus, God's word tells us that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation means wrath absorber. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath that you and I deserve because of our rebellion and our sin. And if we are willing to put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and follow him as King, if we will take refuge in him, we can change our destiny. We will pass from death to life and we will be blessed. Now, I'm going to be real with you. I know as you're hearing this, that some of us are fighting that choice, even if we know where the destiny is going to take us. I know that because I fought that choice for half of my life. But the truth is the reason why we fight that is because we have sin in our heart. That's the sin in our heart talking, saying, don't choose Jesus. It's the rebellious spirit that we naturally share with the kings of the earth. Well, what we got to do is we got to crucify that. We got to let that part of us die now before it eternally destroys us. Because the truth is, the kingdom of God under the lordship of King Jesus is not chains, it's not bondage, but it is freedom and life. And it's only the sin in our heart and in our mind that's lying to us. Because John chapter 8 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Following King Jesus is not chains, it's life. And so if you are ready to follow Jesus today, turn from your sin and call out his name to save you. And he will not turn anyone away. And if you today already follow Jesus, the application for us is simple. It's similar to the function of this royal psalm. What we need to do, how we can respond today, is we need to let this psalm build our faith and give us confidence in King Jesus. Because today, as you well know, we are still surrounded by nations, peoples, kings, and rulers who stand opposed to us as followers of Jesus. But that doesn't matter. Their efforts will ultimately fail. What we need to focus on is not on them, but we need to focus on serving the Lord, rejoicing in him, kissing the center or worshiping Jesus and taking refuge in him. That is how we find life. And that's the message of this introduction found in Psalm 1 and 2, that we find life by choosing to follow the divine King's voice, by, by choosing to follow Jesus' voice. By faith, simple obedience to the words we find in this book give life. Let's pray. Father, today we recognize you as the King of heaven, and we recognize your son Jesus as your chosen King. Therefore, may we turn away from the voices of this world that stand in opposition to your kingdom. And by your Holy Spirit, give us power to even silence the, the sinful voices within us that wants to join them. Instead, may we choose to have refuge or take refuge in Jesus. 
And so change our hearts this morning and help us to boldly walk in all that you have called us to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us for Church Online. If this was your first time, would you fill out a Connect card? We would love to say hi to you, to connect with you. We even want to send you a gift. Also, if you have any prayer requests, would like to know more about the River Church, or if you decided to follow King Jesus today, we want to hear from you. And there's an easy way to let us uh, hear from you by going to our website, riverchurchct.com, or you can simply text the keyword TRC Connect to 94,000. Again, thank you for being with us today. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day.